Yeah, there is. 
You guys get up on your feet, find somebody and tell them good morning. And there you can 
Carpenter's Way. How, wow. It's good to see you. <laughs> you never know what to expect. Sometimes it's two or three, you're like, <laughs> This morning it was a full verbal attack from the flock. Well, it's good to see you this morning. Welcome to Carpenter's Way. If you're watching online, thanks for joining us there on the internet. It is a privilege to have you with us this morning. We are on week 42 of a study. <laughs> on the life, that's actually true, the, the 42nd week 
uh, it says it in the worship guide, on a study from all four of the Gospels on who Jesus Christ is. We are, we are trying to figure out who the, who the Jesus of the Bible is, and uh, we're having a great time, and we are glad that you get to join us, even if for just one morning. So thanks for being with us. It is our hope and our prayer that you're encouraged having been with us this morning. Uh, we are in the middle of our missions month, and uh, we, for all of February, each Sunday we highlight a missionary or two uh, that we support. Carpenter's Way does align itself with the Southern Baptist Convention's International Mission Board, and we, uh, through your faithful giving, or the faithful giving of those who attend it regularly, we send tens of thousands of dollars to that organization, which spreads it across the globe to support about 5,500 ministry missionaries globally. Uh, beyond that, Carpenter's Way equals that number, or actually surpasses that number, by supporting, did you say 19? 21 individual, mission, indi uh, individual missionaries or mission groups. When I say mission groups, Mosaic Center is supported, Pregnancy Help Center is supported, Seasons of Hope is supported. But then beyond that, we have lots of individual missionaries that, that you support through your regular giving. And uh, if you uh, grew up Southern Baptist, you may be familiar that most Southern Baptist churches do uh, two offerings a year, and all that money goes to the International Mission Board or North American Mission Board. We don't do that. We take, uh, we take I think it's uh, 11 or 12% of our budget of all the giving for the year, and that goes directly to mission work. And then on top of that, uh, we give another 5 or 6% towards short-term missions and sending our people global. So that's Carpenter's Way's investment. That's how you invest, by regular giving. Um, having said that, we're excited. We're in our second week, actually our third week of our mission emphasis. This will end the final Sunday in the, Sunday in the, in the month of February, when we will be having, uh, we're so honored. Is it four couples from international mission? Four or five? It's a lot. But we're going to have a panel that morning of missionaries that are from that are internationally serving. A couple from Russia. We got Guatemala. I, I'm going to forget some, so I'm going to stop right there. But but it is going to be a great morning, and we're going to do sharing. Uh, we're going to kind of have a panel and question and answer, and then after that, uh, all of our missionary and our mission groups are going to have tables set up in the welcome area. And during the Bible study hour, you're going to be able to kind of meander through there and get to know them a little bit and hear what they're doing and have questions asked. We, we believe it's part of our charter as the body of Christ to support global, the gospel globally and discipleship globally. So we spend a lot of money, time, and effort. We have, an, uh, we have an, a mission team that works with Robert Grimes, who's our pastor of missions, and we're very excited about the work we're doing. But this morning we're excited. Uh, it was a couple months ago that you got to hear from Cassidy Everling personally, and uh, she was talking about how she's in process of maybe adopting a child. She serves in Haiti. Uh, she's in process of building a house, which we have been able to, uh, you have been able to financially participate in, as well as monthly support for her. So uh, we're going to have, uh, hear from her right now. Hey guys, I'm Cassidy Everlin, and I'm one of the missionaries that Carpenter's Way supports. Um, I live in Laogon, Haiti, and first off, I'm in my house right now that's getting built. So there's no roof or anything, but it is, should be done soon. So I wanted to show you all that. Um, I want to share with y'all kind of what I do in Haiti. Um, so first off, I have my own preschool where I have 25 kids come. Um, I have two different classes. I really wanted to open up my class this year to the community kids. That way I could give them an opportunity to come and learn. And not only that, but to share the word of God with them. Um, so we do a devotion every day in my class. And I hope that they take home what they do in my class <clears throat> every day and go share it with their families. I think that's really important. So that is really exciting this year. Um, 
big big turnout 25 kids so y'all pray for me um also we have 39 kids here at the orphanage our youngest is two and our oldest is 18. um so with our 39 kids i do a lot of stuff with the kids um help tutor um help take care if they're sick um just day-to-day -day things that you do to take care of children and also i run the guest house here so if we have teams i'm in charge of teams and i go pick them up make their menu help plan out their week make sure they have everything that they need everything goes smooth um so i'm really thankful to be in here in haiti um the lord called me here in 2015 just on short-term trips and after my short-term trip i knew that i was going to move here um so like i said i've been living here for two years and i am with in his hands Orphan Outreach, that's my organization. Um, this is actually called In His Hands Orphan Home. Um, so, <clears throat> like I said, thank y'all so much for the support. I cannot be in Haiti without it. Truly, I cannot. So, thank y'all, and I hope y'all enjoy the rest of the video. So our missionaries to make just don't send us anything polished send us what you do so I know some of you are nauseated right now but you saw Haiti and uh, I just I just want to make a political statement don't you believe that all Millennials are snowflakes this is a young woman of God who graduated the same year as my son tw uh, 14 2014 the year after that she went to an orphanage in Haiti and just fell in love with it and those kids she loves those kids what a privilege there are so many wonderful young people that have sold their hearts to serving the Lord 
globally, and uh, it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, and even, and, and I know we don't talk about them because we don't know them that well, but in the International Mission Board, there are some phenomenal young people that are going into service of the Lord, uh, and it is a privilege to participate with them. And uh, so we want, it is our hope as we, as we shove these people in your face. We used to have a book and, and some of us grew up in, the, in churches and you'd have little pieces of paper and nobody would pick them up. So we want you to know we are effectively shoving the missionaries that you support on a regular basis in your face and, uh, and because we want you to love them. We want you, to, we want you to, to understand the cost. We want you to pray for them because they are amazing people. And uh, Cassidy, it was cool to watch this because we got to see what she shared with us when she was here. So uh, <clears throat> what, what a privilege. And, and in that, thank you for giving um, this is, we're not asking for more money right now. We're, we're not asking for you to give for a special missions offering. We're just thanking you for giving because that's how we as a family, we, we're just a family, okay? It's, it's, I know there's business aspects to churches, but we're just a family. And we take, we take between 12 and 20% of the money that you give, and we give that to missions. And uh, that is a privilege to do. And so we want you to know, thank you. You're, you're faithfully serving the Lord. You're not just given for air conditioning and heating and buildings and unbelievably good preaching. You are, you are giving. For, why do you always laugh at that? I'm just teasing. But you, you are giving for that. And uh, I, 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 I know you saw her house that's being built. Uh, no, it's not done. Um, but uh, you also saw the car she's standing in front of. She's trying to buy a car right now. So what a, what a wonderful thing. And you know Haiti's been politically a mess, so we need to be praying for her. So um, that's, that's uh, Cassidy be praying for her, and it's going to be great. Next week we're going to be sharing with you. Uh, we're going to have a video from uh, a missionary who doesn't preach and teach, but actually does mechanic work and flies. He's a pilot. So it's going to be another good opportunity for you to learn. I also want to encourage you to be on our Facebook page because I'm going to be adding some during the week. We can't fit all of them on here, so I'm going to be adding some for you. So be watching for those as they'll be encouraging and, and all. So if you take your worship guide, let me highlight a few things for you. We've got TNT this week. That is for seniors 50 and older. Uh, it is a potluck dinner, and it's a wonderful time. Uh, I believe that there were some people standing at the door inviting you. Uh, if you have any questions, you can talk to the Kennedys or call the office, and we'd be glad to answer your questions. Uh, I want to mention that our new uh, members class is we had to change the date, move it back two weeks. It's going to be March 22nd. If you are interested in learning more about Carpenter's Way, how we function, uh, our leadership structure, our doctrinal statement, that's what this is. Whether you're going to become a member or not, that's between you and the Lord, but this is a good way to find out how we function and what roles we play and how decisions are made and all, and, and all of that. Um, uh, uh, we... Uh, Want to mention Wednesday nights? We uh, about six months ago we changed our Wednesday night adult ministry from Bible study to biblical adult discussions. And right now, Kip Havard is leading us in a discussion uh, by Ravi Zacharias, built on a 20-minute video. Um, it's an eight-week series called "Deliver Us from Evil," and it's it's just it's a worldview conversation about a child of God living in a time like this. And it is it is heady. So come you with your brains. Don't leave your brains at home, but it is a great conversation. We only have three more weeks of that, and it would be worthy of your time to jump into that if, if something like that interests you. Uh, and uh, after that, we're going to do, well, I'll tell you more about that in the coming weeks. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time as we prepare for our, off, our, our offering. Uh, if, you're, if you're visiting, uh, this is for those of us who attend here regularly. We, uh, you don't need to give. We just don't want you distracted by money. We're just glad you're here. Uh, in that, I want to remind you to continue praying for
for our women's conference in the Amazon this week. Uh, we have, let's see, there's eight women that are there right now. Their names are in the worship guide, and they will be returning uh, this next week. Um, uh, also, we put in each week an insert that is our prayer uh, guide for our church with members and relatives in need. Make sure you read through this and you're praying for each other. Um, that's a good way to encourage each other as you go through the difficulties of life. So let's, let's commit our service to the Lord. Father, thank you for Cassidy. And uh, right now she's in Haiti. Right now she's thinking about ways to love on these kids. She's uh, probably in church this morning. And she is, um, Lord, she's, she's not living the easy life in East Texas. And we pray you'd bless her. We pray you would let her know she's not alone. And I thank you for the privilege to participate with her financially and prayerfully. Father, we think of our, of our lay folks, our, our part-timers who are in Brazil right now and serving you with ministering to women. And I believe that today they're on a taxi boat and they're heading to another village to do another women's conference at BBS. And we pray you would bless them uh, in their efforts and keep them safe, Father. Lord Jesus, as we now turn our eyes away from the business of life and church and and we turn it on you. It is my prayer, Father, that you would encourage us and, and teach us and make us more like you. And as uh, Chad leads it and his team lead us in worship, and then we open your word, it is our prayer, Father, that the words of man fade away and that the words of God endure forever. So we, incur we, we, we commit ourselves to you and we ask you to speak to us today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. as the offering plate passes. If you want to stand and worship with us, you're more than welcome. By grace alone somehow I stand Where even angels fear to tread Invited by redeeming love before the throne of God above, He pulls me close with nail-scarred hands into His everlasting arms. When condemnation grips my heart, and Satan tempts me to despair I hear the voice that scatters fear The great I am, the Lord is here Oh, praise the one who fights for me And shields my soul eternally Just 
Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most.
are resting in the work that you have done. There is nothing that you left undone. You've opened our world to the presence of our God. Welcomed here as worthy because of the cross. We cannot walk God. He has wiped away the stain of all our sin and shame, and He's asked us to come and rest, oh, rest in our God. Salvation
and honor, glory and power forever to our God. He has wiped away the stain of all our sin and shame, and He's asked us to come and rest, oh, rest and rest, oh, rest in our There is strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in our tears. And you meet us in our mourning with a love that casts out fears. You are working in our waiting. sanctifying us and beyond our understanding you're teaching us to trust your plans are still to prosper you have not forgotten us you're with us in the fire and the flood faithful forever you're perfect in love you are sovereign over us you are wisdom unimagined who could understand your way Reaching high above the heavens, reaching down in endless grace. You're the lifter of the lowly, compassionate and kind. You surround and you uphold me. Your promises are mighty light. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You are faithful forever. You're perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. What the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good, you turn it for our good, for your glory. And even in the valley, you are faithful, you're working for our good, 
you're working for our good and for your glory. Even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. And you turn it for our good and for your glory. And even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You are faithful forever. You're perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Your plans, your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. God, we thank you so much, Lord, that God, in our lives, our day-to-day lives, we, we like to think that we want to be in control. We live most of our lives as, as if we are in control, but, but God, we, we thank you that we're not. We thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign. We thank you, Lord, that you have a plan. God, in the middle of the valley, in the mountaintop, everything that happens, Lord, we know that you're in control, and we can, we can rest in that. We can rest in that knowing, Lord, that you've got this. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it does. We ask, Lord, that you would help us this week as we go throughout a week, Lord, just to remember that you're sovereign, you have a plan, and we can just rest in that. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word that we're about to open. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. God's sovereignty is a comfort. It is a comfort knowing that he's in charge. If this is just random or dependent upon our faithfulness, we are in trouble, big trouble. Scripture te- glad that Scripture teaches the sovereignty of God. We may not understand every detail. We may not understand everything God allows to happen, but we do know God. We know He's good, and we know He wins. And uh, that, should, that should bring enormous comfort. Uh, as I was preparing for our time in the Word uh, this week, I just once again, and I know I tell you this periodically, but I, I want to take a moment again to tell you what a privilege it is to fellowship with you every week. What a privilege it is to open God's Word with you. And I want you to know, we were, uh, Julie and I were coming back uh, visiting Hannah and Zach in uh, Dallas. Uh, Hannah is very pregnant. And uh, Zach, turned tw- is back- Zach is very 24 this week. So we went there to celebrate his birthday and watch Hannah begin the process of uh, having some pains and aches that remind her that she's about to give birth to an animal. And uh, a little Wilkie. And we are very excited about that in the coming weeks, and we appreciate your prayers. But as, as we were coming back, we listened uh, to part of the IF conference on, uh, on our phones. And uh, for those of you who don't know, that is a women's conference uh, that our ladies are involved in. And I think, I think Karen was there, and, and uh, uh, it is, the, the speakers there were phenomenal. And uh, the Briscoes were talking, and I, I just, 
They said there, he was talking about three things. Uh, for those of you who don't know the Briscoes, they have a church in Milwaukee. We were ministering up there for a long time and got to know them a little bit. But uh, they're an older couple and uh, ending their race in, in ministry. And, and he had shared three things. Uh, Jill and her husband had shared three things about ministry they never wanted, that, that, that are the core value of their ministry. Number one, they love the word. Preach the word. Number two, love your people because the word of God stings. <laughs> and I don't remember the third one, but it didn't matter. It was a personal one. But uh, I, uh, um, I, just, I just want you to know that I understand. That just reminded me how courageous it takes to look at the unadulterated verse-by-verse -verse word of God. It, it, is, it is hard because there are, things, there are things that you see in here that are like, oh, come on. You know, I'm the child of the king. I should get stuff. I, and, and I just want you to understand and pay attention in today's text because we're not new to that thought. We are not new to that thought. We are not new to the idea that because we're followers of Jesus, creator of the universe, king of kings, lord of lords, god of gods, because we're following him, because we've been adopted into his family, we deserve stuff in this life. And that's not a new problem. I mean, it makes logical sense unless you're part of an upside-down kingdom. And then you realize the song that just was led us in, uh, the sovereign over us. Then you realize that God is good. The song that Chad wrote that was right before that rest out of our Hebrew study. We rest in him. We don't rest in our circumstances. If you are having the best year of your life, if you became a multi-billionaire this year, if you have the best health ever, if you are king of everything you've ever seen, don't trust in that. Because just as assured as that is, this is your day, another day's coming. And on the reverse side, if you are having the most difficult time of your life, don't worry, that will end. It will end, whether in this life or in the next, and you will win. We can't lose this, and we have to remember that. We are in this for the long game, not the short game. Uh, on to our study about the life of Jesus, and I've already mentioned if you're visiting with us, we are asked, answering the question, who is this man, referring to Jesus Christ? Who is he? Not who, who does the Baptist church teach he is, or who does the Assemblies of God church, or the Evangelical church, or the Mormon church, the black church, the white church, the Mexican church, the cowboy church. Jesus is not a cowboy. Sorry to disappoint you. He didn't ride a horse. He rode a donkey. That's not much of a cowboy. But we, no, no, matter, no matter what you've been taught or think or wish, Jesus is Jesus. And if you want to know who he is, you've got to look at his story. You've got, to, you've got to listen to the eyewitnesses, and we have four of them in Scripture. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Eyewitnesses to Jesus' teaching. Eyewitnesses to Jesus' miracles. Eyewitnesses to his message. And that's what we're doing. We have tried, and of course we're not hitting every story. We're in week 42, and I have no idea how, many, how long we're going to go. We haven't even gotten to the crucifixion yet. That in itself is a three-year three study. But... Again, I should not make that joke. It never works. It worked last week. But, but we'll, we, we are heading there. But things radically changed. For those of you who have been with us in this study, things changed that afternoon where Jesus transfigured before Peter, James, and John on that mountain. Everything changed. Where Elijah and Moses came back from the dead and actually had a conversation with Jesus about the kingdom of God. And Peter and James and John are watching in. And as they watch in, they're so overwhelmed that Peter suggests that he makes three places of worship, one for Elijah, one for Moses, one for Jesus, and that they would worship them. 
And after Peter makes that statement, now, now pay attention because this wasn't a rebuke. And for those of you who weren't with us in that study, it was an interesting study. But the Father speaks from heaven. And remember what he said? That is my son. Listen to him. Now, now you gotta, I, I really want this to sink into your biblical psyche, your contextualization of the story of Jesus. Because the Father wasn't saying, hey, boneheads, don't follow or worship Elijah or don't worship Moses. You see, those were two of Peter's favorite people as a Jew. One represented the prophets, that would be Elijah. One represented uh, the scriptures, that would be Moses who wrote the, the Torah. Uh, they, he was revering them. But the father was saying, I know you love these guys, but listen to that one. That's my son. So of the three people before you that you want to make these worship things for, only listen to him. And the father wasn't being cute by half. He wasn't just tongue-in-cheek. He was actually saying, you need to listen to him now as never before because he's about to tell you stuff you're going to need to know. And you recall that after that they go down the mountain? And as they get to the base of the mountain, you remember that Jesus is rushed by a mob because the other nine disciples were at the base of the mountain and people came looking for Jesus. There was a man whose child was demon-possessed and they wanted the demon to be cast out. And of course the disciples, the other nine, thought they were capable of that. Well, Jesus had told them that they were going to go around casting out demons. And so they tell him, you don't need Jesus for this. You need us and we'll cast out the demon. And they fail miserably. So Jesus comes down the mountain, and this group of people seeking deliverance is actually angry now. They are a mob that's angry at, G at, at Jesus' followers. And they run to Jesus, and they say, we need you to deliver this person from de the demonic. And Jesus actually looks at the disciples who say, why can't we do this? And Jesus casts the demon out of this guy. And the disciples, it's later in that day as they're walking, that they ask Jesus, why couldn't we do it? I mean, I don't understand. And Jesus responds to them with such a slap in the face because you've got to pray to deliver the demon. That gives you a clue as to what they were doing. They thought that because their position, they thought that because they were part of Jesus' team, they thought that they had the authority to cast out demons in their own names. Not that they weren't invoking Jesus' name, but they weren't prayerful. They weren't leaning on God. They thought that their position with God made them powerful against the demonic. And it doesn't. No matter how Christian you are, how Baptist you are, or how many ribbons you have from teaching Sunday school, that doesn't give you authority. Only God does. No matter how few banners you have or badges or church attendance or membership or baptism certificates, no matter how few you have, if you lean on God, you will be used. Because the power and authority for all things comes from the throne of grace. And the disciples would need to understand that because at the day of the Mount Transfiguration and the evening that they, they take a walk after casting the demonic out, these guys, Jesus' ministry changed. It is not that he didn't still heal the sick and he didn't still, uh, still preach, but he spent most of his time between now and when he's arrested alone with these disciples, alone with them, training them, preparing them for his absence, his physical absence. He is about to leave them. And so he needs them to understand. You see, the disciples were tasked with carrying on the ministry of Jesus. We are tasked with carrying on the ministry of Jesus in his phys physical absence. And so they had to be prepared for that. It was immediately following Jesus telling them that the reason they couldn't cast out the demon was because they hadn't prayed and leaned into him 
that he clearly, it tells us in the text, he clearly begins to explain that he's going to die. And they understand, but they're afraid of asking questions, it tells us, because they understood. They couldn't fathom him leaving them. Despite their bad hearing and their unteachable spirit and their hard heads, despite their self-focused flesh, Jesus continues their training, though, because he had tasked them with ministry. It was after that, if you recall in our study, that Jesus has Peter take a coin out of a fish's mouth to pay a temple tax, a tax he didn't know. But he explained to Peter, and we talked about this three weeks ago, he explained to Peter that it was necessary to do things that you didn't, weren't required to do in order to keep from distracting people from the core message of the gospel. He teaches them about the seriousness of sin, and, and, and uh, two weeks ago we talked about this, the seriousness of sin, and that they would be tempted... And that they would be tempted and they would need each other to keep each other from falling into sin. And he goes on to explain to them that even some of them will run away and their responsibility was to chase each other, to take care of each other. Remember the, the story of the 99 and the one that chases? That was a message to the disciples to care for each other. It's a message for the church to care for each other, that God takes sin seriously and it is destructive. Man, that's a message that the church today needs as well. This new ministry season of intensive discipleship of the 12 continued last week as we watched Jesus hiding away near his home with his disciples and his family, and they start mocking him. Remember what they told him? Jesus, if you want to gather a crowd, if you want to be all that, you need to go to where a festival is taking place in Judea, Jerusalem specifically. You need to go to Jerusalem, and you need to do some of your magic tricks. His half-brothers mock him. It's incredible. Even James is among them. They're mocking him. You want a crowd? You want to gather people? You want to be a shepherd? Why don't you go on to do it? And it tells us the reason they did it was because they didn't believe in him. After all the miracles, after all the teaching, after everything they had seen, they still were not followers of Jesus. And we talked last week about what Jesus didn't do. He didn't call fire down from heaven. He didn't swallow them up in a whale. He didn't have the ground, you know, he didn't, he didn't do what Darth Vader does and make the breath leave their lungs and grab their, their throats. He actually answers their question. He stays on task. He says, it's not time. It's not time for me to go there yet. But you can go because my message offends them. Yours doesn't. It was an incredible thing to watch. But I want to remind you that the reason Jesus Christ did not destroy his half-brothers in their, in their rudeness to him was because James wasn't saved yet. If he would have condemned them at that moment, if he would have killed them at that moment, if he would have done what is probably right for him to do, James would not have become the church leader in Jerusalem later after following Jesus after the resurrection. You see, Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to seek and save the lost. And I think sometimes we forget that. In the final weeks of Jesus' intensive training of the 12 that is well underway, we pick up our story this week in Luke chapter 9. This is right after Jesus' brothers have mocked him, after they've gone, Jesus and the boys, well, this is what they do in Luke 9, 51. As the time drew near for Jesus to ascend to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. That's it. He turned his face towards Jerusalem at this time. Again, we read in this text that Jesus is on a schedule. 
He's, got, he's part of a plan. And I know you know this, but I wanted to remind you that although Jesus lived among us for 33 years, most of his time here was gathering a family together, of drawing people, of telling them that the Father had sent him to, to redeem them. It was talk actually before doing what he was here, sent here to do. I want to remind you that you know what Jesus was sent here to do. Jesus, okay, so this is weird. Think about this. But we talk about how much Jesus loves us, and that is true. But I want to remind you that if you want to know who really, really loves you, it was the Father. Because John 3.16 says this for God, referring to the Father in this, so loved the world that he gave his only son. Just, just leave that up there for a second, Louise. Just, just breathe that in. It was the Father who loved you and sent the Son. The Son, yes, I know the Trinity, and I know we're not supposed to separate him, but, but I, I just want us to remember that, that the Trinity is not made up of, of an old guy in a judge's suit and white long hair and a young guy that looks like that and then a, a Holy Spirit that's like the force in Star Wars. That's not true. All three of them have a personality. All three of them are deeply, passionately in love with you. All three of them are involved in your salvation. All three of them deeply care for you. And at this very second, if we could separate the Trinity, which we can't, but we will for the sake of conversation, right now, the Father is seated on the throne. Jesus Christ is sitting at his right hand, talking to him about you this morning, praying for you, and they are instructing the Holy Spirit who inhabits you as the child of God in directing your life. How cool is that? That is your life. Well, I don't hear him. I don't experience him. Maybe we're not being quiet enough. Maybe that's not God's thing, it's ours. Maybe we're leaning on our own understanding too much, but that's not today's message. Jesus came out of obedience to the Father, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That in today's text is going to be a huge statement. It explains why he didn't destroy his half-brothers last week. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. If he, if he had condemned them at that moment, if he would have destroyed them, he would not be doing the Father's will. But in order that the world might be saved through him. God the Father sent Jesus down here to save us, not to condemn us. Because the truth is, we're already condemned by our very nature. God doesn't send people to hell. People are going to hell. God sent his son to keep people from going where they deserve to go. That's the story of the gospel. The word gospel means good news. God sent his son to interrupt our journey. God sent his son to grab us and pull us off the train, road, uh, the train that's heading to hell. And he, and he wants to redeem us. And it is only the proud and arrogant who want to redeem themselves that end up in hell. Do not reject him today. I beg of you, if you don't know Jesus, look, you do not have to be a Baptist, you don't have to be an evangelical, but you do have to be a child of God to go home there. And I beg of you today to accept his free gift of eternal life. The Father sent Jesus the Son to redeem you. Well, I don't like the church. Well, the good news is the church can't save you anyway. And we have problems with the church too, which is why we're going back to the scriptures, to reevaluate what we believe. But we're trying to put our focus on God. And if you let the church be the thing that, sends you, that, that keeps you from finding eternal life, you are a fool. You're a fool. If you are a Christian and you're watching on the internet because you won't go back to church, you're sinning. Fix us. Come back and be a part of the solution. Study the scriptures. But here's the deal. When you come in and tell us what we're doing wrong, you better bring the Bible with you. 
Because we don't care about your opinion any more than you don't care about ours. It's the Word of God that matters. That's what matters. All right, back in the text. So, <clears throat> what did it look like in real time for Jesus to be sent by the Father? That's Philippians chapter 2. I promise we're going to get back to our story, but this is important. I'm setting you up. Are you ready? Okay, very good response. Philippians 2 verse 6. Though Jesus was God, I, I took the he and exchanged it with Jesus because that's who we're talking about. He did not think equality with God something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. And I know you know this. This is one of those passages of Scripture you're so familiar with. It loses its awesomeness. So I want you to really think about this. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. What did that look like? Okay, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. Oh yeah, that's right. We just learned that the Father so sent the Son. This is, a, a, this is a, a, a reaffirmation of that. Jesus didn't come of, of his own fruition. He came out of obedience to the Father. And to obey the Father, he, he didn't show up as, as God in his glory. He showed up in the humble position of a man. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. What I just read actually explains Jesus' constant statements about not being his time or coming to do his Father's will instead of his own. You're going to see Jesus in months to come pray as he's arrested that, he, uh, that, that the cup of, of suffering, that his death and arrest and burial be removed from him. But he's going to end the prayer, not my will though, yours be done. And I, I point that out once again to remind you that Jesus the man had a will that was different than the Father's. He didn't want to die for you at that point. Sorry. But he was willing to accomplish and go through the pain and the shame of naked on the cross by people he created so that the Father's will would be accomplished. He was willing to endure the pain. That's an incredible thing when you realize it. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And, and uh, he was here in obedience to his Father to do his Father's will on his Father's timetable, not on his own. And because of that, it tells us in this text that he gave up divine privileges, taking a humble position of a slave, being born as a human being. This actually, this statement right here explains Jesus' life, his behavior, his reaction to those who would reject, abuse, and hate on him. This tells you why he didn't kill his brothers when they were rude to him, why he doesn't destroy the Pharisees, why he only turns the table over in the temple, he doesn't make them go away and doesn't destroy the, the, the uh, high priest. Jesus never once takes them on. He rebukes them with true doctrine. He rebukes them with truth, but he doesn't kill these people. He brings life. Why? Because he took the humble position of a slave and born as a human being. The privilege that he gave up, the privilege that Jesus gave up when he became a man was not only putting aside his own desires, but also of the right to be treated like the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, or God of Gods that he deserved to be treated like. That's the privilege he set aside. It wasn't the authority and power of God. He had that. He did miracles. He raised the dead. He raised himself from the dead. What he gave up is the privilege of being treated like royalty, what he deserved in this life. At the feet of Jesus, everybody will bow one day. 
just not yet. And that's what he gave up in obedience to his father. The cost of giving up his divine privilege was taking the humble position of a servant, of being God born as a human and seen only as a human, even by his brothers. He would choose, therefore, to endure ridicule, disrespect, prejudice, and stay on task, as he did last week with his half-brothers, and you'll see this week with others. Luke 9, 51, here we go. As the time drew near for Jesus to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So Luke is telling us he's heading to Jerusalem now, and of course his readers don't know what happens in Jerusalem, but we can look back knowing that he dies, okay, all right, this tells us it was not that he never took a left or right turn. It's that now he's going to die. Why is that important? Because contextually, now you know his mind is completely on crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. That means every conversation he has with the 12, every conversation he has with them, everything they see him do is about that. It is teaching them. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him to the Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. Verse 53. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. That's the face of prejudice. That's prejudice. I told you as we started this study, I was going to point out that prejudice isn't new. It's always been around. You could make the case, and it could be made that this is reverse prejudice, and I'll explain why in a moment, but they're prejudicial against Jesus and the disciples. If Jesus was coming to be with them, if he was coming to stay in their city and do miracles and preach, they would have welcomed him. Because it tells us at the end of verse 53 that because he's on his way to Jerusalem, which is the capital of the, Jew, of the Jewish culture and, and place, it's where the temple was, because he's not coming to be with them as Samaritans, they see him as a Jew and they reject him. Because it was only a stopping over place on his way to the Jewish capital, they don't welcome him. The Jews hated the Samaritans because they were the offspring of their unfaithful Jewish grandparents who had obeyed, disobeyed the Mosaic law by intermarrying with the Assyrians when 10 of the 12 tribes were under Assyrian captivity. They were not supposed to intermarry with anybody who was not a Jew. That was the law. They were supposed to keep themselves pure. God was going to be their king. Now, for those of you that that upsets a little bit, by Jew, I don't mean somebody born as a Hebrew. I'm talking about anybody who aligned themselves with the Jewish people. For instance, you are a Gentile. Most of you in this room are Gentiles. I think all of you. I don't know of any Jews in our congregation. But all of you are Gentiles. And that being the case, if we were living back in biblical times, they would look at you as a dog. Now, if you didn't like the dog life and you had seen the supernatural power of, the, of Jehovah, the king, God of the Jews, you could become a Jew by doing what's called being alienated in. There was a process by which you would become part of the Jewish nation. You would have to be circumcised if you were a male. There was a, a long process. And then you would be allowed in the temple courts, but only the courtyard of the Gentiles. You could not have full-fledged pri uh, privileges of a Jewish person, but you could be in. So when you hear God instructing the Jewish people to only marry Jews, he's not talking about a racial delineation. They were talking about people faithful to the law. That's very, very important. Back to our story. The Jews and the Samaritans hate each other. The reason they hate each other is because the Jews would not accept the Samaritans. The Samaritans didn't have a heritage outside of their sinful grandparents, and so they were seen as half-breeds. They were treated as such. They were actually less liked by the Jews than the Gentiles were. It would be better to marry a Gentile than, than a Samaritan. 
It is, it is fascinating to do a study of this, but there is so much hate that the Samaritans are so rejected that they start reverse prejudice. And if you remember the woman at the well, that's a Samaritan woman that Jesus meets with, she talks about how we worship on Mount Gerizim and you believe that you need to worship God at the temple. The reason that they worshiped at Mount Gerizim is they worshiped the same God, but on the mountain because the Jews wouldn't let him in the temple. So they created a new religion, same God, but in a way that they could worship and they reject the Jewish God. Are you kind of following me? That's how deep this hatred went. So when the Samaritans find out that Jesus and his boys are stopping over on their way to Jerusalem, they don't welcome them. And in perfectly Jewish, human, and realistic response, and I say realistic because it is, it's how many of us respond to the other political party. James responds like this in verse 54. When James and John, called the sons of thunder, I added that, but it is true, they say to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? You can laugh. I can't even imagine praying that prayer. Some of you can. You're a little angry on the edge. But this is not going well for them. They're upset. How dare these, these half-breeds? Now remember, they don't want to spend time with them anyway. Jesus keeps forcing in his ministry these poor disciples to spend time in Jewish communities. Remember that when Jesus ministers to the woman at the well, he actually has to send the disciples away to get food that he doesn't eat because he wouldn't be able to minister to this woman who's a Samaritan if they were there. Then they come back, and if you remember, it says, why is he talking to that woman? But they're too smart to ask that question. And then when they bring the food up, they start saying, Jesus, you know, I'm glad you're having a good talk with this woman, uh, but we've brought food. Jesus says, I'm not hungry. I'm eating my father's food. I have food you know not of. And they become enraged, remember? We had to go to the stupid Samaritan village and buy food, and this guy isn't even hungry. If you haven't learned in our study of Jesus and the study of the Gospels, these are normal people feeling exactly like you and I do. And the big end of that story, the funny part, is that Jesus actually leads that whole Samaritan village to be followers of his, and they have to spend another week there. <laughs> Those of you who just laughed know uh, it's funny because you know God enough that he continually sends you to people you don't like. So I'd just like to remind you as we get into this that being faithful to the service of the king has nothing to do with who you like and don't like, what color they are, what kind of music they listen to, your prejudices. He doesn't ask you if you're prejudiced. He just tells you what to do. This is prejudice. Samaritans to Jews, Jews to Samaritans. I mean, and they're actually prejudiced in the name of Jesus. I mean, why wouldn't they think God would send fire down from heaven? They'd heard about it. They'd seen Elijah do it to the prophets of Baal. Surely they're rejecting Jesus, who's king of kings, lord of lords. They have Jesus over a barrel. We can't let them do this. Remember that when he sent them out, he actually said, if they reject you, they're rejecting me, and I will judge them. And they have reason to believe it. Fire has come down from heaven before. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? So they are biblical scholars. Hey, did you hear what they said to you? Let's call down fire from heaven. Verse 57. Not, not there yet. 55. But Jesus turned to the disciples and he rebuked them. Now we don't know what they said, but I have a pretty good idea. And it wasn't we don't send fire from heaven. Okay? Because I know that's, a, that's, that's the other side of the pendulum that's wrong. Let me be clear. Jesus Christ, lover of your soul, and the Father who sent his Son to die on the cross for you, who loves you, for God so loved the world, there will be condemnation for every man, woman, and child who rejects him. 
Hell is still real. Rejection is still going to happen. There is no way to God except through Jesus. But he is begging you to let him redeem you. He is patient beyond measure. You are alive right now, and you weren't run over by that car that almost run you over so that you had more time. In the same way that Jesus didn't destroy his half-brother James because he came to redeem that dude, he's been very patient with you. Don't push his patience. Today is the day of salvation. And for those of you who are, are children of God but not walking with him, time to stop feeling sorry for yourself. He has been incredibly gracious to you too. Well, I don't like what he's doing with my life. Well, unfortunately, when you accepted Christ, Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess Jesus as Lord. Well, I didn't know that. Well, you can reject him now or accept him. But that song that Chad let us in, sovereign over us, it's true, it's not just a song. Jesus turned to the disciples, verse 55 says, and rebuked them. So they went on to another village. And they spent the night. They don't want us? Okay. And you see Jesus doing that today all over the place. Some of us have even asked ourselves a question in the deep places of our heart or in our living room with our spouses. I don't understand how that doctor could be a, I don't know, uh, an abortion doctor and God doesn't just kill him. Now you know why. Because he's patient. He wants to redeem that abortion doctor. Some of you, us, are very upset over what's going on in Washington, whether you're on the right or the left. Why doesn't God just clean things up? Because cleaning things up means eternity. It will happen. There's still time. Thank God that Trump can still be saved if he's not. Thank God that Nancy Pelosi can still be redeemed. I don't like Nancy Pelosi. Thank God it has nothing to do with how you feel about her. Because 100 years from now, this ain't going to matter. That's not going to matter. All that's going to matter is what we did with Jesus Christ. And that's what I think the rebuke sounded like with the disciples. Do you not yet understand? Have you not seen me? Do you not remember when I went home into my own village, into my own synagogue, and after presenting myself to them from Isaiah, do you not remember they picked me up to throw me off a cliff? I didn't kill them. And you want me to kill some Samaritans because they won't let us sleep there? That's what I think the rebuke sounded like. And that's why Luke didn't record the conversation, because nobody wants that conversation to be recorded. And you've heard that conversation. I mean, have you ever felt like being a Christ follower always requires you to put your feelings aside? Come on, there's more than Barbara Haley here this morning. Do you ever watch the news and see unrighteousness and go, why are we always naming them? Don't you feel that sometimes? Why am I the one that has to always be righteous? Just once I want to call, I'm not, I wouldn't call fire God from heaven, but have you ever felt that? You know you have. And when you do, the next thing you feel is Jesus' eyes on the back of your head going, really? I've seen you look at porn at two in the morning. Seriously? I watched you react to your husband just because he didn't wash dishes. I watched you tell your wife you hate him. I've seen you tell your mom a lie. You want me to judge them? 
and give you a jail, out of, get out of jail for a free card? <laughs> no, no, I don't want that Jesus. Then let me leave. Let me leave. <clears throat> Pay attention, lesson's not over. One of the things I hope you learn through our time in the scripture together is that as, as we uh, have, and we have to, especially in children's ministries, we break the Bible down into individual stories and we try to teach the lessons. But as an adult, you don't need to do that. You need to keep reading until there's a break. Because the next story actually tells you why the author led with that story. Let's keep going. Verse 57 of Luke 9. As they were walking along, okay, thank you, Luke. So he wanted us to continue in the journey with them. As they were walking, walking along, someone said to Jesus, yeah, and I, I just want to give you a warning. I need a yellow light behind me. This gets really rough. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Oh, what a great moment. That was an altar call if you've ever heard one. But Jesus responded in gentle manner. Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Can you imagine that, what that person was thinking? Jesus I'm ready to pick up my cross and follow you. Seriously? Where are you going to plant your cross? You, you know what Jesus is saying to this guy? Do you have any idea what this is going to cost you? Like Peter, I'm ready to die for you. Oh, that's easy. But you won't have a bed tonight. That's not nice. Jesus is really not good at raising up a crowd, in case you're not clear. Verse 59. He said to another person, come follow me. And the man agreed. But he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own. Your duty to, is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. That is such, I almost wanted to skip this part. That's a joke. You're not laughing much today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to make you laugh. I'm going to think of a joke that will make you laugh. That is hilarious. I mean, what? I mean, can you imagine Jesus saying that, that is not the Jesus we have painted up over the baptismal. The Jesus we have painted up over the baptismal goes, Okay, I, I really want you to follow me. Come and follow me. But before you do, I know that your dad is sick. And by the way, there's some controversy in this. Uh, it is, uh, the, the Greek infers more that the dad had not died yet, but is in the process of dying. I'm not sure it matters. But basically, we expect that Jesus, the Jesus we get preached at all the time, is the Jesus who looks at you and goes, I know that you're sick and, and struggling, and I know your dad's dying. Why don't you hang out here? We're going to go on to Jerusalem. We're going to cut back around in six months and we'll see you. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is you let the world worry about the world. You come follow me because the task I've given you is way more important than all of that. What? What are you talking about, Jesus? I'm talking about eternal life. This is really hard for us to get our minds around. And I, I mean us, me too. Because... We kind of think of evangelism as kind of a half-hearted thing. You know, when was the last time you... This is a real question, okay? I don't want you to raise your hand, please. I just want you to think. And I am not convicting you. I love you. When was the last time you actually witnessed to somebody? When was the last time you actually told somebody about the hope that is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Uh, if, if it was this last week, when was the last time before that? And, and some of you are evangelists by nature, but the problem is we've kind of turned that into a back burner thing because we don't want to offend people. That's what Jesus is really addressing here. Let the world worry about offense and not offending. You let them do that. You let the world worry about what the world worries about, burying the dead and all that political crap. 
you have a much more important task, and you better follow me now. It's that important. That's tough. Verse 60, uh, 61. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. Obviously, this person wasn't listening to the conversation he had with the previous person. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back isn't fit for the kingdom of God. Ah, that's rough. Um, I don't know what you think about the visual in your mind. I'm a visual person, but I thought immediately of who? Who do you think of? Somebody that's following Jesus' orders and turns and looks back. Lot's wife. A pillar of salt. This is tough. This is tough because we're kind of like, I mean, if, if we were to really have a conversation about Sodom and Gomorrah, you kind of go, man, fire from heaven, that's rough. And then you go, yeah, but they were pretty evil. I mean, there was, there was male raping males. I mean, it was sick. So they deserve it. But if you, if you really ask the questions that the way we look at God and life is, we have to ask ourselves, are you kidding? All she did was turn around and look at the city. That's all she did. That's all it takes. For those of us who walk with Jesus only to get eternal life, but not to surrender our life, according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, we haven't been saved, friends. Because hell isn't your problem. Sin is your problem. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. This is surrender. This is us saying, I give it all to you. You're sovereign. I trust you. It doesn't mean we don't question or doubt. I mean, the disciples are questioning and doubting. But there's an intrinsic understanding that he's God and we're not. And, and, and we're continually reforming ourselves to him. If you are watching on the internet today and you got saved at six, uh, six years old or 10 years old or 15 and you refuse to walk with God because God is a disappointment, then you may not be saved. If you are here in this room this morning and you have been disappointed by God, but you stay faithful to your trust of him, you are saved. That's exactly what it feels like. As we've been studying Jesus through this, I hope you've been watching the reaction of the crowds. Most of the crowds walked away. Thousands, tens of thousands would walk away. And a couple times, the only people left around Jesus was 12 disciples. And Jesus would ask them, why didn't you go with them? Well, where else are we going to find eternal life? And Jesus patted him on the head and said, right, good decision. We follow Jesus because he's our only hope, not because he makes us feel better. Hope is different than feeling. And he will right it. He will right the wrongs. He will set justice on its head. He will do exactly what he promises to do. Just not yet. And aren't you glad? Because I got news for you. Your great-grandfather's Baptist preacher in that little white church was pretty ticked off and crying down fire from heaven right around World War II. And when you decided to go to movies, and you decided to drink a little beer, none of you did that, but when you decided to do the things they told you not to do, I assure you that there was a pastor saying a moral, vindictive message on how you deserve to be judged. Thank God he didn't listen. Thank God. Amen, right? You are redeemed by the mercy and grace of God. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. He's not done. Story's not over. I'm almost done. Chapter 10, verse 1. And remember, chapters are not inspired. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples. And he sent them ahead in pairs to the towns and places he planned to visit. These are the instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So we want, as he's sending these 72 out, 
prayed to the Lord who was in charge of the harvest, asked him to send more workers into the field. And by the way, that's us. As the 72 are going and the 12 are staying with him as he's teaching them, he's telling them to pray for more workers. That's you. That's you. 2,000 years later, praying for more workers. Verse 3, now go. And remember, I'm sending you out as... Oh, that's not good. Yeah, that's, 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 that's not good. That's rough. By the way, the, the uh, epistles say the same thing. Like lambs. Peter will write about that. Don't be afraid of the lion that can eat your flesh. You be afraid of the lion that can take your soul and cast it in hell, Peter would write. That's where we live. That's where the disciples were living. And they thought, they were convinced that what was about to happen was that, that Jesus was going to set up this kingdom that would make justice reign and all would be well. And Jesus kept saying, not yet. It's not time for that yet. There's a lot of people that's got to be saved and we better be thankful that he didn't answer their prayers or we would not be saved today. Now I want to end where we began. Philippians chapter 2. Because I think this will make sense of you when you hear it. Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Now pay attention, here we go. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names at the, at, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So in other words, while on the earth he was mocked and ridiculed and stoned and, and they wanted to throw him off a cliff and they eventually kill him, in eternity, he will be revered as God. Every knee will bow. That's why Jesus didn't call fire down from heaven on the Samaritans. Who deserved it? Or his brothers? Who deserved it? One more question. Does anybody remember the context of this in Philippians chapter 2? I know it's what we study to find out what Jesus' life and explanation of Jesus' life, but does anybody remember the real context of this? Let me remind you. Philippians 2. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. This is, your, this is your marching orders from Paul. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ did. Who, though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God something to grasp. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. It's funny, but this is, uh, Philippians chapter 2 is what we in theological circles call the hypostatic union. It's what we study about how is Jesus fully God, fully man. It is so funny to me how little we remember that the context of that isn't so you understand God, but so that you'll live like him. Boy, do we need that now. About 25% of you are sure that our president is going to destroy this country, and about 75% of Carpenter's Way is sure that this communist country is going to get worse. I've got news for you. If we become Venezuela, God is still on the throne. If we become Venezuela, we still have the same task. We just don't have toilet paper. 
<laughs> Seriously, that's the funniest thing I said today? <laughs> if we become Venezuela, we get really uncomfortable and we eat rice all the time. We still go home to heaven. Well, there won't be as good a medical care. You're not going to die before your time. So we shouldn't care? No, you vote. But every time you talk openly, you remember that there is a higher call. It's okay to talk. But you remember that there's a something more important that you need to understand. And that there is a king who wants you to bow the knee to him, who offers you eternal life in his kingdom forever. The reason that the disciples and we get frustrated with our experience in life is because we keep forgetting that it's not about YOLO. You don't only live once. You're going to live twice, and the second one is going to be unbelievably better than the first one. Christians, I remind you, this is the closest thing to hell we're ever going to experience. So don't expect more than that out of this life. You follow Jesus, and there will be enormous joy in the journey. On the other hand, if you are not a child of God today, and you choose not to surrender control of your life to him, if you choose not to accept his free gift, this is the closest thing to heaven you'll ever experience. And with that, I encourage you to live it up, feed your flesh, please yourself, because it only gets worse from here. This is the closest thing to heaven you'll ever experience. My call to you is join us. And for the child of God, my call to you is don't let Satan distract you with culture. Because the culture we live in is a culture of the kingdom of God. Service, ministry. It's an upside-down kingdom where we serve and are not served. Where we don't demand our rights, we serve those who take them from us for the sole purpose of getting an opportunity to share with them that there is hope in God. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, help us be like you and less like us. And I ask you, Father, that your Holy Spirit would convict us when we start acting out of the flesh instead of of the Spirit. I understand that in this culture we have the right and maybe even the privilege and the responsibility of speaking up for what we think is truth, righteousness, I mean, political. I pray, Father, that you would make us wisdom in those decisions and that it would always end with the gospel. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. If you're visiting, I'd love to meet you.